Well, let's begin. Um, the word that sums up what I want to speak to, about, to us about is intimacy. And intimacy is a very powerful word. Um, it's a word that speaks of, I think, a number of characters. But I looked up the dictionary to see what the dictionary had to say about intimacy and it's very helpful. It says the state of being intimate. Well, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, they pay these people good money to write that sort of thing. Now, they did earn their money. They wrote a couple of other things. Um, they said this. If I can get my clicker to work. Here we go. A close, familiar and usual, unusually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or group. Uh, or thirdly, a close association with detailed knowledge or deep understanding of a place, subject, period of history. Intimacy. Um, it challenges me because it speaks of interpersonal closeness that we so often desire. And there's no doubt that I think in our lives uh, we want to have connections with people that are significant, that are intimate. Uh, we want to have relationships that are positive and life-bringing. But yet to speak of intimacy can also remind us of what we desire but so often fail to achieve. Uh, the word reminds me also sometimes of distance, of emptiness or shallowness of relationships that I might currently experience. In other words, uh, in talking about intimacy, it reminds me of what I don't have. And so the disparity uh, can create some sense of loss or pain. And so with friends or colleagues or spouses or partners or kids or parents, I'm sure there's people here who would like to have relationships that were close and had depth, uh, where there's affection, where there's love, uh, where there's that, that sense of I know them and they know me. It's built on trust. Uh, it's built on good communication. It's built on the sense of journey together over time. That's what intimacy is. Now, fascinating. Uh, we had a very helpful seminar yesterday from Patricia Wirakun about sex education. And if you didn't get to come along, it will be online through the website. But one of the things she reflected on was the fact that there, there are more and more ways of connecting, if I can say, through the internet and through the airwaves with Twitter, with Facebook, uh, with Instagram, with text messaging. It goes on and on. Yet in many ways we're less connected and less intimate and less able to relate in ways that have depth and substance than ever before. Because what has been offered to us so much is superficial. And you see, you can't have intimacy without having a depth of trust and knowing and relating that takes place over time. And the same is true of God. Intimacy is something we want. We want to know God. We want to have a depth of understanding him and experiencing him in our lives. But it's challenging. You see, as I reflect on the question, am I close to God, the questions that come, am I just going through the motions of being a Christian? Uh, when I turn up here on Sunday, is this real or is this a facade? Um, am I just wearing a good Christian veneer that's on show on Sunday and potentially on show on other occasions, maybe it's small group, so that I look like I'm okay. But the reality is, if you scratch beneath the surface and look inside the soul, uh, 
there is no sense of intimacy with God. I wonder if that's you this morning. Jim Packer, famous Anglican theologian, wrote a very famous book many years ago called Knowing God. And at the beginning of the, God, he put, uh, beginning of the book, he puts this question. One can know a great deal about God without knowing much knowledge of him. One can know a great deal about God without knowing much knowledge of him. In other words, there's a difference between knowing things about God and actually knowing God. It's like in relationships, I can know things about a person without actually knowing them. And intimacy is about not just knowing about God, it's about knowing him personally in our lives. And so let me pray as we come to look at God's word. Uh, And I've been praying that God would work a deep work in us today to give us a hunger and also an experience that would lead to a deepened walk with him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you open our eyes to understand you. And I pray today that you would teach us through your word. Lord Jesus, minister your grace and your love and your truth into our hearts and minds. And Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, we pray this day that you would fall afresh on us and that you would strengthen us and fill us so that we might walk well with the Father and the Son in your power and your presence. Amen. I've got a couple of things to say about intimacy as we look at this passage. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to get them open. Uh, We're at page 1028, 1029. And there's a number of parts to this reading. The first is a very famous story about an occurrence where Jesus visits the home of two sisters, Martha and Mary. Let me read it again for us. As Jesus and his disciples are on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he'd said. And so you've got these two women. Uh, It's quite a contrast, if I can say, in terms of responses. Uh, One sister is speaking, the other sister is silent. One sister is serving, the other one is sitting. Uh, One sister is working... The other one is listening. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him, that's the Lord Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by herself? Can you tell her to get up and help me? Can you kind of feel the angst and emotion that is there in the voice? Martha, Martha, the Lord responds. You're worried and upset about many things. But actually, few things are needed. Indeed, only one is needed, Martha. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha, the sister, the woman of the house, she's got no time to listen to Jesus. You could put it that way. Um, to sit at his feet and learn. She's busy preparing food for the guests. Now, Jesus has arrived. There's most likely a number of them. The disciples have probably crashed the party too. 
And within that culture, an expectation would be that she would have prepared food. She would welcome them and she would feed them. And so you've got this entourage that's turned up and they're going to be needing food at some stage. Now, anyone who's cooked for over 12 people will know there's a fair bit of preparation that takes place, particularly if they just lob on your doorstep. And it's always lovely if 12 people lob on your doorstep if you've got food in the fridge. That's what's happening. And Martha thinks, good, I better go and get ready. And then she looks up and she can see there's the crowd sitting at Jesus' feet listening and there is her little sister probably, Mary, blow her, she doesn't want to work, she just wants to sit and learn. Now, it's worth saying the culture of the day was that women did not receive formal teaching or learning from a rabbi. Yet Jesus seems totally unfazed by this she's not he's not worried that mary's there in fact he delights that she's there and so the sister martha becomes frustrated because mary has not joined her in the kitchen as she should culturally speaking and she would know that she's sitting there with the men at the feet listening to jesus and i want you to note jesus response it's not strong or sharp but it's very clear it's compassionate and it highlights the real issue. Martha is anxious and worried that she isn't fulfilling the cultural and societal obligations that would have been on her as the woman of the house to provide hospitality to the guests. And she's wanting to make sure Jesus is well after, but Jesus simply says, no. No. What's more, she says, actually, Mary has chosen wisely. She's chosen the good portion and it's an interesting word that's used there in the original language. It's the word that you can often use for food. In other words, there's two meals that are on offer today. Uh, One's being prepared in the kitchen, one's being delivered in the lounge room. And which is the most important meal that your sister Mary should be involved in? It's actually not the food in the kitchen, it's the meal that's taking place in front of your sister. The delivery of wisdom from the master's mouth. Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the good meal, the word of God. And you see what Jesus is saying is um, service of the hand was not to supersede the service of the ear. The ear is to guide the heart and the hand. And that is true of life under God. What is of most importance is that we sit at the feet of the master in quiet and we learn. You see, this section is startling because, you see, intimacy with Jesus is far more important than any activity for Jesus. Those who are sensitive to him will recognise that he invites them to come to him. They sense that he will receive them, that he is ready to teach all types of people. Martha needed to slow down and relax and sit at Jesus' feet like Mary did and listen. And before we can bear fruit for Jesus, we need to abide and slow down and be quiet and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. And we need his word to be speaking into our lives if we're ever to be fruitful in his service. Intimacy will start as we sit at Jesus' feet regularly and be quiet. 
It's a major part of discipleship. Secondly, intimacy with God will involve deep and close prayer to the Father. Now, this story of Mary and Martha is followed by a story of the disciples watching and being struck by Jesus' prayer life. Have a look at chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And this second section of the reading is challenging at a personal level. You see, Jesus has stopped to pray and it's not going to be, if I can say, just a quick um, prayer that he offers up on the side of the road as they're travelling along. I take it what is happening here is Jesus has stopped, it may be in the morning, maybe it's in the evening, maybe it's during the day, but he's stopped to have a period of prayer and he's talking to his Father in heaven and the disciples are watching what's going on and one of them bravely goes up and says, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? like John taught the apostles, uh, the disciples. You see, the disciples are so struck by what they see and experience with Jesus' prayer life, his intimate knowledge and relating with the Father, that they say, can we have some of that too? I don't relate to God the Father like you do. Can you show me what that means? You see, they see in Jesus relating intimately and deeply with the Father something that they don't have. Have you ever been with someone who knows God deeply and personally? Have you ever been with someone who knows God deeply and personally? One of the ways you discover that is by praying with them or literally being in their presence when they pray. And as you can imagine, I pray with lots of people. Um, Some people can't even say a word and that's quite okay. But occasionally you will pray with people where there's this depth of knowledge of the Father that is profound, where their prayer life is so rich that you think, gee, I'd like to be able to pray like they do. But what's behind that prayer life is this deep and rich intimate relationship that they have with the Father. I remember one of my prayer partners I've had from my past church, we used to meet in the morning about 6.30, 7 o'clock and he would come to my house on the way to work. His name was Daryl. And part of the enjoyment of the time was just to sit and be with Daryl while Daryl prayed. And he would pray for me. But that's not all we would do, we would pray. And there's a number of things that marked his prayer life. There was this sense of awe. When we prayed, you knew you were not just addressing another person, but the King of Kings. He had this big vision of God. There there was confidence when he prayed. He prayed as someone who wasn't going through the motions, but praying to someone he'd walked with for many years and was completely confident that as a child of the Heavenly Father, he was being listened to. There was this incredible sense of confidence. And yet, Amidst the awe and the confidence, there was familiarity and ease. This was no formality to come and pray. This was a joy and a delight. Like a child running into his father's arms. 
It was very familiar, very informal in some ways. He prayed as a son to a father. This was no distant God that he addressed, but his heavenly father whom he knew and loved. And there was power. Uh, Daryl had seen God answer his prayers and the prayers of others many times. And God by his spirit filled his prayers and gave him the ability to storm the throne of heaven and pray on the basis of Jesus' shed blood with great power. And I loved being prayed for him by him. I felt much better when he prayed for me, much more confident. And I'd seen testimonies of other answers to prayer. And you see, this is what I think is happening as the disciples sit with the Master. They see something that is deep and that is intimate and they want it. And with great humility, and it is humility, they come really confessing their lack, their need. And they say, couldn't we please have some of what you're having? Teach us how to pray. And so he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, uh, say. It's interesting that he says say. say." Um, Because some people have said, okay, that means you should memorise this and pray it word for word, by rote. Uh, Some people have said, no, what he's saying is pray like this. I actually think both are helpful. Um, If you learn it, it will actually give you a framework for praying informally. So pray it formally, pray it informally, I say. It's a great prayer. Pray this way, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now that's all we have in Luke's recording of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The form that we learn, if I can say in church, has a few extra things. They've been added on in church history. They're not bad things, they're good things. But this is the heart of it in terms of what Jesus prayed. And there's really two big concerns here. You want to pray like me, Jesus says, firstly, have a concern for the Father's glory. Pray that the Father will be glorified, hallowed be his name. Pray for his kingdom to come. In other words, your first concern must not be yourself if you want deep and intimate walk with God, the Father. Know him as Father, but pray that his glory is known, that his kingdom comes. Have the Father's heart on your heart. But secondly, he helpfully says, but you can also pray for the Father to provide for you and protect you. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not to temptation. You see, this is what prayer is. It's this concern to dialogue with the Father for his work here in the world, for his glory to be known, for his kingdom to come. But it's also this sense of a son and a daughter coming before their father and going, can you please provide for me and protect me in this world where I serve you for your glory? Now it's interesting, the language in the original is not in the singular, it's in the plural. Uh, This is a community prayer. May you provide for us. We should be praying this for each other. 
and standing by others when they're in their time of need. May you protect us. We need to pray for each other and stand by each other in our time of need. This is the prayer of God's people. And God wants us to call upon him and seek his glory while we trust him for his provision and protection. So that's the second thing. Intimacy involves deep prayer and a concern for the Father's glory and a trust in his protection. But thirdly, it develops when we speak, when we come and seek him boldly in prayer. Now, have a look at verse 5. Jesus said to them, suppose you've got a friend uh, and you go to him at midnight and say, now I just want you to think about a friend you could go and turn up at their house at midnight. How many people have got friends like that? How many people would be a friend like that? Um, Because I can come visit you at midnight if you would like me to. Uh, But don't do it to me, please, okay? I'll have my phone on silent at that time. It's very interesting. Suppose you've got a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend. Now, imagine saying that, the gall of it. Hello, friend. Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've already no food to offer him. So you can see the scene. Now, understand the culture in seeing the scene. Um, if someone turned up, you were under obligation to feed them, much like Mary and Martha with the Lord Jesus when he turned up. So this friend has people turn up and there's no fruit in the fri- food in the fridge. And so he thinks, even though it's midnight, I better go and get some reserves and get some stocks. And he goes and calls on his friend. And suppose the one inside answers, Jesus says, well, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are not in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. Now, I understand that. If you come knocking on my door, I'll probably say, go away. You're those drunks from down at Manly. <laughs> but I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of, and I've taken this from one of the translations, your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now why does Jesus tell this story about this shameless, audacious friend who has no sense of cultural norms and appropriateness? but rather wakes up not just his friend but his whole family because in that culture the likelihood is they were all in one bed together, all in one room together so with the dad getting up, he woke up everyone. And Jesus says it is a shameless audacity the way that he knocked on that friend's door. Well, Jesus is teaching about prayer and he is saying to us, do you know, when you think about prayer, Have the Father's concerns on your heart. Believe in his protection and provision. But when you come to him, come with this sense of shameless audacity. In other words, um, knock and knock and knock, even if it's midnight. You can come boldly and ask. Now the interesting thing is, why would the friend respond in the parable? Well, Jesus says it's not because he's friendly. (laughs) It's because you've been so shameless and audacious. But there's another reason also he would have responded. You see, it's to protect his honour and his name. Um, 
if you come and knock on my door at midnight and want food, I probably will get up and answer it. And it won't be at midnight because I'm your friend. It's because I'm the senior minister and I think I'd jolly better get out of bed and I have to protect my reputation because people think I'm a lousy minister. That's the reality, isn't it? You know, you think, oh, can't you go and knock on Dave's fell door? He lives around the corner. He's probably up with the crying baby. I don't have them anymore. Isn't that right, Dave? Crystal won't mind. 16 O'Luca Avenue. It's only a quick walk around the corner. I mean, you can go to Hepner still. He's got five. He's sure to be up. But no, I will get up. God has a reputation. Numbers 14. Moses calls upon God, don't wipe out the Israelites because your reputation is at stake among the nations. Your name will be dragged in the mud. We should have this boldness to come before the Father's throne and ask of him. God's reputation is at stake. And he says, you can be shameless and audacious and come knocking. And it seems wrong to pray that way, but Jesus says actually it's the right way. And we don't pray because we think we can trap God with our words and imprison him, but rather Jesus is saying, plead with him. Our Heavenly Father is saying, come to me and plead with me on the basis of my name, wanting to be shamed. God wants his name to be honoured and he wants to be known as the Father who provides. And part of developing intimacy with God will be seen as us as a church developing boldness in prayer, a boldness that will ask great things of God, a boldness that will be concerned for his glory, a boldness that will want his kingdom to come here in manly, a boldness in prayer that will be for each other, that God be their God, protect them, provide for them. We call on you shamelessly. I wonder, do we have that sort of intimacy and that depth of knowledge that comes before the throne of grace with such confidence. But lastly, intimacy will develop when we know that God is good. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give a scorpion? Now it's interesting, my son actually did ask for a fish the other day. Um, he wanted to have a fish bowl. Imagine if I said, no, I'll wrap it up and here it is and out pops a snake. <laughs> Little red belly buck snake. Let that one run around your bedroom and enjoy him. Now, I wouldn't do it, would I? Or if he asks for an egg and you give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, fascinating phrase, cuts to the heart of who we are in God's eyes, uh, we are not good, we are rotten to the core, Jesus is saying, If we who are rotten to the core know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? What Jesus is saying here as he finishes this section off is God is good. And God is our Father. And you think about it, 
you're sinful, but yet you still look after your children, don't you? You want to give them good gifts. Well, your Father in heaven who's perfect, he's not going to trick you. Do you remember that poem? I asked God for patience and he gave me trials. Well, I stopped praying that one. <laughs> Don't blame anyone else who stopped praying it either. It's kind of it's a funny poem. It's like, does God trick you? Uh, God is good. He's not some kind of trickster. And you see in this passage, if we can just step back, You've got Mary and Martha and Mary is the one who has chosen well. She's chosen to sit at the feet of the Master and listen. You've got the disciples who are so struck by their Master and the depth of prayer that he has with his Heavenly Father and they want what he has. And then you've got Jesus saying, you want to learn how to pray, pray this way and ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You have a good heavenly Father who will give you good gifts. And the fascinating thing for me is he finishes by saying and he will give you his Holy Spirit. He will give you his Holy Spirit. And I want you to stop and reflect on that because it strikes me like this. The Spirit is given to us so that we can have this depth of relating and we can have this intimacy of walking with the Father, of hearing his voice, of deepening our prayer life, of having confidence with him. He gives us the Spirit. And I think sometimes we do think, is God good? And I think particularly in evangelical churches, We wonder, what does that mean for the Spirit to come? Well, what it means is God will give us the gift of his presence. He will come into our lives. Now, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you confess him as Lord. You can only do that by the Spirit of God. You've only opened your eyes and seen that he is the Lord of glory who died for you because of the Spirit. But it struck me that people often are not aware so much of the Spirit's work in their life and I think we should be. And we need to welcome him and the work he does do in our lives. And we need to have more of him in our lives. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus is saying, my promise is this, I will give you him as you come and seek me. And I've been wondering where people are at. And different concerns will drive us to renew a desire for intimacy and closeness with God and seeking him in prayer. And it may be that we're here thinking I'm filled with guilt for what I've done and I need to be close to God and intimate and know his forgiveness. It may be that there's a sense of fear. We're not sure if God really loves us. There may be a sense of impotence or failure in terms of our Christian faith and our journey with him and our witness to him. It may be that we're discouraged and struggling in our faith. It may be that there's a sense of exhaustion and depression in our life. 
and we're wondering, have I got the strength to go forward? Uh, It may be that there's assaults of temptation and battles with indwelling sin uh, that we find like waves crashing over us, just overwhelming us. And we're wondering, have I got the strength to go forward? It may be that we're facing serious illness and we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we want to know that God is there with us. It may be experiences of rejection or betrayal or it may just be, I long for a deeper walk with thee. Let us come this day to the throne of grace and seek God and ask for his spirit to be poured out into our lives so that we might know the hope and the strength and the love and the joy and the healing and the strength and the power that comes with the presence of the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of joy, the Spirit of peace, the Spirit of patience, the Spirit of self-control, the Holy Spirit. And I wonder this morning whether you want more of him this day. So we're going to stop now and uh, we're going to have a time to pray. And we're going to sing. And if this morning you want more of the Spirit of God in your life, I'm going to invite you to come forward as we sing. And I've invited some people to pray, an extra uh, group of prayer partners. And if you're wanting more of the Spirit of God at work in your life this day so that you might be more intimate with him and walk closer with God and have his strength and power and provision in your life, then I invite you just to come forward as the prayers come forward as we sing. But let's be quiet as I'm going to invite Mia up to sing again and just bow our heads. And I wonder this day, what is your prayer in terms of intimacy with God and the gift of God's Spirit? What is your prayer? Do you want more of him this day? Well, Jesus says, ask and you will find. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Do you need to receive more of the Spirit of God in your life this day? Can I get you to lead us? We're going to sing it through twice. And while we're singing, uh, let's stand. You need that? Let's stand. And um, if you want more of the Spirit of God in your life this day, I invite you to come forward and we're going to pray for people after the service. So let's sing.